I'm Andrea Donsky, founder of Morphis, powered by Naturally Savvy. And today we're going to be talking about brain health. When we get into perimenopause and menopause, the subject of memory and cognition comes up a lot. So I'm very excited to have with me today, Dr. Bryce Wild. I am so excited. I'm going to read your bio really quickly. Bryce Wild is a leading health expert and clinician specializing in integrative and functional medicine, blending the latest in science and technology with traditional and ancient remedies. Welcome to Morphus. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Great idea, great concept. Love it. Love Naturally Savvy. I love the work that you do, and it's my pleasure. It's my honor to be on the show. Thank you, Bryce. All right, let's jump into it. Let's talk about brain health. I want to understand as we get older, so we're talking to women who are in their you know, 40s and, and onwards, and as we get older, our estrogen levels decrease. How does that play a role and affect our brain health? It's a huge role. In fact, actually, it is all in your head. We're going to get to that. <laughs> Literally and figuratively speaking, menopause is a new concept that a lot of us are just becoming familiar with in the world of functional medicine, but it really does in so many ways start uh, in your head. Um, and it has a lot to do with the molecule serotonin, a feel-good molecule that a lot of us have come to uh, be uh, aware of as it pertains to uh, prescription medication and antidepressants, which by the way, as uh, a lot of your listeners and viewers will know, um, pertains in so many ways to the perimenopause and menopausal uh, experience. So for so long, we have thought estrogen is uh, pretty much exclusive to the periphery, the ovaries, the uh, the, the uh, fertility aspect of estrogen, right? That powerful hormone that ultimately divides cells and, and grows cells and is responsible for ovulation and, uh, and a whole host of other biological uh, happenings as it pertains to uh, your cycle. But so much of it is underappreciated as it relates to how it functions in the brain. Um, for some time now, I've been focused on brain health. I mean, a lot of us know what we're doing to lower perhaps our cholesterol, totally different story. It's an, an old, old concept to be worried about cholesterol, but I mentioned it because most of us are simply familiar with our numbers. We know what our blood pressure is. We know what our weight approximately is on the scale. But if I were to ask your viewers if they knew what their hippocampal volume was <laughs> or how their cerebral cortex was functioning that day, I bet you yeah. not one of them would know. I don't think, um, I don't even know that. So explain what that even is. <laughs> well, well, you know, so hippocampal volume is something you could get done on an MRI. You can go under a non-invasive MRI and have the volume of the memory center of your brain, very relevant to menopause, by the way, as you earlier mentioned, mm -hmm. memory is a big issue uh, for perimenopause and menopausal uh, symptoms suffer. So, but, but, but back to the idea that we don't know enough about our brain and how it's functioning, even though you can do these things to get baseline, you know, memory function tests, um, we don't do them. And yet, the brain is the most important organ in our body. It baffles me. I went ahead and I, and I wrote a whole book about this. Uh, you know, where we desire, by the way, Andrea, as you know, to live longer. I mean, that's well established. Uh, we also desire to live longer well. We call this lifespan. Uh, but I went ahead and I sort of one-upped on that. And I, I wrote a book called Brain Spanners. And this is all about living your best life as long as possible, optimal cognitive function. So optimal cognitive faculties excellent memory, astute concentration, focus, attention, alertness, good sleep, you name it, you're going to have it lifelong. And this pertains, let's go full circle back to perimenopause and menopause. And we, we know this is a rite of passage. Menopause is not a disease. It's simply your hormones re-equilibrating, which has something to do with genetics as well, by the way, but park that thought for a moment. Uh, and let's go back to this idea of so much of this starting in the brain. Um, this neurochemistry, 
serotonin I've already alluded to, but there's others, noradrenaline and adrenaline. This is the fight or flight uh, relationship, these chemicals that are responsible for stress. And this all, by the way, ties into uh, your adrenal glands. So I'm going to throw a big term at you, okay, because we're going to come back to this over and over. P-N-E-I, psychoneuroendocrine immunology. P-N-E-I, that's it, a big acronym, big term, it's a hyphenated term, that stands for the psychology that interacts with the neurology, that's your nervous system and brain that interacts with your endocrine system, which is your hormones, which all ties into your immune system, right? Okay, so serotonin, our good friend serotonin. Once, here's what happens. Let's actually maybe talk about the biophysiology just to refresh everyone's memory as it relates to perimenopause and menopause. Because actually, there's three, there's actually five stages if you want to get technical, but let's keep it to three. Okay. Perimenopause. This happens roughly around 45 years old and actually even as early as 37 for some women. Let's not get too technical about ages, but it happens uh, as a rite of passage as your hormones tend to you know, wean down in preparation for ultimately your ovaries shutting down altogether. That happens for some as early as 48, 50, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, in the early 50s. That's menopause. That's no cycle for 12 months. And then, of course, post-menopause. So after 12 months with no period, amenorrhea, you're, you're, you're not having a menstrual cycle. So in the medical books, you are in uh, post-menopause. Okay, so what's happening? Your ovaries uh, aren't producing the amount of estrogen and progesterone they once did. Your brain is not signaling downstream uh, through what's called follicular signaling or hormone or FSH. It's not telling the ovaries make estrogen. Uh, so if, if, if follicular stimulation hormone is not work, is not is, is tapering down, your ovaries are on their way down to producing the amount of, uh, of estrogen. That down regulation actually affects the brain in a way where metabolism down regulates. That means your literally centers in your brain that are influenced by estrogen and insulin pr production are no longer as astute. And by the way, you know, here, so in a nutshell, I want folks to think of it like this. Estrogen, you know, petering down through peri and menopause doesn't happen in this sort of nice downward trend. It goes like this, <laughs> right? So up and down, up and down, up and down, as opposed to when we're in our adolescence and there's this serious hockey curve uptick of testosterone if you're a guy or estrogen if you're a girl. It's just consistently up and up and up and up. And why that's relevant is because this up and down, but nonetheless downward trend of estrogen production signaling from the brain to the ovaries produce less, but then next month you have your period and then for two months you don't, and then all of a sudden you do again. It's very confusing uh, to your system at large, but not again, not just the periphery in the brain because estrogen receptors exist throughout your entire body have receptors that estrogen can dock into and in the brain when they're not docking in the numbers that they once did I, I'm again I'm going to reiterate metabolism gets thrown off one reason why there's weight gain um, vasodilation that is the ability of the brain to control the peripheral system as it relates to temperature is thrown off this is the hot flush or the hot flash these thermal uh, centers in the brain that regulate temperature like a thermostat you know on your wall for the, the heat or coolness in your home gets thrown off insulin dysregulation starts in the brain serotonin as i mentioned our it, it, the output the manufacturing of serotonin the feel-good hormone that's also relevant to sleep-wake cycles decreases this is also related to of course mood so when you think about every symptom that you experience in menopause mood dysregulation lack or you know imbalances in in sleep um hot flashes 
uh, metabolism issues. I mean, those are just some of them, but the big ones women uh, experience, it all literally and figuratively starts in the head, in the brain. Wow, that's pretty incredible. And you know, one of the things I noticed because I'm in my, I'm in menopause, is that the and the one thing I've been really trying to work hard on is my memory and cognition because I'm very aware of it. I'm very good friends with you, so I've learned a lot. And I think that it's super important that we understand what are some things that we can do to help keep our brain functioning properly. I know that you are the king when it comes to supplements and ingredients and understanding what works, what doesn't, what's the science behind certain ones that actually do play a big role. So I'd love you to provide some tips on some of the things that we can do, practical solutions that we can be doing right now for those of us that are in perimenopause and in menopause. So I think I'd begin by saying uh, any and everything you can do to balance hormones in the periphery will also support the brain. And we can talk about those ranging from bioidentical hormone replacement therapy all the way through to some botanicals, herbs, and nutraceutics, which are vitamin minerals that can support this whole symptom. Bear in mind, not everyone's going to have symptoms. So much of this has to do with genetics. Love to come back to that very, very briefly so that we can help people understand there's a, there's a strong degree of personalization that goes along with what do we do because there is no one size fits all. As it pertains to general brain health, and again, adopting this concept, this novel idea of brain spanning, what does that mean? Again, it's not just living longer and well, lifespan or health span. This is the idea of, of maintaining full and optimal cognitive faculty all the way through to the end of life. And if you're female, part of that means balancing estrogen better. Okay, so how do we personalize folks? Well, first we have to understand, again, this is information we can gather through their DNA, simple spit test. And in my clinical practice, I send this off to McGill University and we wash through these, uh, this, these very informing genetics. So basically, I'm gonna boil it down to three classes of females as it pertains to what do we do or should we do? And then we can generalize. There's the female who has an optimal estrogen testosterone balanced system. That is one that produces, there's three steps, essentially how you produce estrogen, how you then metabolize that estrogen, and then how you get rid or flush that estrogen out. All of those three steps happen in every female. To what degree or the speed at which they happen is entirely relevant to the personalization routine. So you can be a high generator of estrogen, but not so good at metabolizing it and not so good at throwing it out or you can produce estrogen at a, at a decent clip. You can also metabolize it well, but then again, not throw it out efficiently. Or you can produce it in a huge abundant amount, not metabolize it and not manage by detoxifying it or throwing it out very well. That latter person is gonna have a horrible time uh, with menopause because ultimately they're used to producing a lot and then ultimately not knowing what to do with the end result metabolism. So as soon as their ovaries start shutting down, their system goes entirely out of whack. The, under, the uh, unfortunate reality about that latter uh, case individual is they are also not a good candidate for hormone replacement therapy. Because if we were to give them hormones, once again, their body doesn't do a good job genetically for detoxifying. So let's just assume the worst. That's how I like to general, let's assume everyone out there would not do well from bioidentical hormone therapy if you want to get screened, and you should, because frankly, back to the brain, to know that you process hormones, including, of course, estrogen well, and to know that you metabolize them and detoxify them well, you are possibly a very good candidate for hormone re replacement therapy, thereby taking bioidentical hormones might actually help and manage your brain and nervous system much better through these perimenopausal menopausal times. So get that looked at. I mean, that's the best, the best case scenario. But let's assume everyone's a, a poor detoxifier of estrogen. 
Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is let's also consider for those ingredients which boost brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Another big term, let's use the acronym BDNF. BDNF is all about increasing the neurogenesis or the ability of the brain to create new nerve cell connections and neuroplasticity, right? The disconnecting and reconnecting. And so much of this is crossover. So again, how do we support hormones and how do we support a brain to thrive throughout perimenopause and menopause? And so that leads me to a whole whack of ingredients to discuss. So um, CIRMS. Uh, I think we've even had off camera, we've had discussions around CIRM, selective estrogen uh, receptor modulators. Again, I know I throw, keep throwing out these big terms, but they're important to learn. CIRMs are a class of herbs, in this case, that can dock. Remember I talked to you a bit, a bit about that receptor. So estrogens, receptors on cells are intended to engage with all sorts of things. But if estrogen engages, basically tells the cell to divide and to do stuff, Right. You can have selective estrogen regulating uh, modulator, these CIRMs that only dock on estrogen receptors that will not predispose you to things like breast cancer, colon cancer, uh, hormonally estrogen re uh, positive related hormones. I'll tell you a quick story. You know, this is a funny story. Uh, and I, and I just, I was reminded by it by talking about symptoms. Dr. Pachovskaya was our pharmacology professor in postgrad. And uh, she wanted us guys in particular to understand what it felt like to be in menopause. So without knowing, we trusted her, without knowing, just prior to going uh, for lunch, uh, midday one day uh, in uh, my post-grad program, she lined everyone at the door and she gave us, I'll explain what it was in, in a minute, she gave us a capsule okay. of, of an ingredient to take. And she said, just before having lunch, to take this, this capsule. So we said, okay, fine, we put it in our pockets and off we went. I was riding a motorcycle at the time. And I met my friends up who took a, you know, a couple of different cars. We got to our favorite local restaurant. We all popped this magic pill. We had no idea what the intention was yet. And um, after about a 20, 30 minute lunch, I hopped back on my motorcycle. You know, it was only a five minute drive, but I'll tell you, halfway back, it was, we, had, we were at the U of T University of Toronto campus. Halfway back, I had to pull over, yank my helmet off, <laughs> pull my leather jacket off, and, and just, I was so discombobulated. I had no idea was how I looked in my rear view mirror, and I was red, just beat red, and I was sweating, and then finally it passed. And uh, put my helmet back on, went to school, and I got to the parking lot, and I saw everyone experiencing, well, most of them experiencing the same situation, just beat red, just doing one of these sort of fanning themselves. But, and so we got into class. She was laughing her head off. All the students were exchanging these stories, and she said, in particular to you guys, because we'll start clinic, obviously, the women uh, would start their clinical uh, uh, careers long before they would experience menopause. Yeah. Basically, the message was, that's what it feels like to have a hot flash. You, you better take it seriously. What it was was B3, niacin, which oh, often causes ah. a B3. Not, yeah, so it was a high enough dose that it caused a niacin wow. flush, but it was intense. It was, so it always sticks in my head. So although, and this is where I was, I, I will never fully understand what it feels like to be menopausal. There was that one day in my life that I had the most intense hot flash, and I can't imagine living with that. On the on the oh. women go through this for seven to eleven years. Um, oh, it's awful! I when I turned forty-seven, two months after my forty-seventh birthday, I started experiencing hot flashes, and I was like, "Wait, is this perimenopause?" I wasn't sure, and then it went away, and then it came back like six months later, and I was like, "What is going on?" And can I tell you, it got to a point where it was so bad, I literally would be in tears, saying, "I can't." It's very hard to want to, to live 
with that every 30 seconds, every minute, every cup, like it is so difficult. So I'm happy. I'm not happy, but I'm happy to hear that you understand because being a woman, oftentimes, and this is what Morpheus, one of the things we really want to focus on is including the men in what we're talking about, because men don't often understand what we're going through. And that's just, by the way, one of 72 signs and symptoms that we have, that we have literally seen by speaking to women and through our research, one of 72. So that hot flash you have, one of 72. How crazy oh, sure. is that? <laughs> oh, listen, I understand. Other than hormone or bioidentical hormone therapy and some other selects, uh, you know, estrogen receptor modulators, in natural medicine, we ultimately end up managing uh, symptoms because once again, this is a rite of passage. It's not to change or alter the structure of hormones or how they're, you know, not to, you know, re-regulate them in any particular way. There, there, there are, I'm concerned about certain, you know, ingredients, natural or, or otherwise out there for some women who otherwise don't get tested for what is other, you know, personalized to them. But I'm very comfortable talking about certain things. Um, for example, sage, it's an herb. Um, most people are familiar with by cooking with it, you know, it's in your kitchen pantry, most likely, but at high therapeutic concentrations, let's get to that for a second. You can't eat enough sage to have an anti-pyrex or anti-sweating effect, um, as you would find in, 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 in a, uh, in an herb, you know, over the counter in your health food store. So I would encourage women who are looking for a natural, you know, hot flash night sweat, uh, uh alternative is to try sage, but you're not going to sprinkle enough in your pasta in order to see the difference. Um, so I love that. I think, as I mentioned earlier, so much starts in the head and serotonin gets dysregulated uh, or imbalanced. Um, highly encourage folks to try uh, Griffonia seed extract or 5-hydroxytryptophan along with a little bit of B6. Uh, vitamin B6 helps to confer. So in the morning, you take this with breakfast, 50 to 100 milligrams of 5-hydroxytryptophan. It's the precursor to, trypt uh, to, uh, uh, to serotonin. So you take this in the day with breakfast and it makes serotonin for you. Serotonin, as we mentioned earlier, is an antidepressant, feel-good hormone that gets thrown off, depleted when estrogen uh, is depleted during peri and, and menopause, post-menopause. And then at night when you take it, it helps to upregulate melatonin. Uh, so I like, I like the combination of those three things as a general blanket statement if you haven't tried those uh, to try them. Also, full disclosure, I think you mentioned it at the top, I work for a company called Brain Armor. Um, and as a medical advisor to that uh, company, one of the things I'm working on are, are formulas, of course, that support the brain. But we, we are in severe deficit of, 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 of nutrients, in particular, as you know, you talk a lot about omega-3s. Yeah, I was going to ask about the omega-3s because that is so important. You know, and, in more, and even more so during perimenopause uh, and uh, menopause and postmenopause, you know, the, the, so every cell, and again, the trillions of cells that you're made of, certainly those cells that account for uh, neurotransmitters and, uh, and things that uh, in, in encompass hormones, they have a membrane around them. And that membrane is so hugely essential fatty acid uh, laden, let's call it. The DHA, I affectionately refer to as brain juice. It is so important for the brain. It's known to be an antidepressant. It's known to be um, you know, something that contributes to better sleep. Um, you know, we see in studies those that are deficient in DHA and broken sleep. Uh, we know that it's an excellent uh, remedy and also a supplement for attention, for a focus, increased focus, alertness, concentration, uh, and again, generally overall better mood. Um, so, I mean, this is something you, know, you want to consider taking on the daily brain armor. 
you know, and there's something else that I like to talk about, uh, you know, because during perimenopause and menopause, we get noradrenaline and adrenaline, these uh, hormones that are relevant to fight or flight, they're relevant to the, the axis. So I'm going to mention this again, PNEI, psychoneuroendocrine immune. So the way the brain is talking to the endocrine system, including your adrenal glands, you're firing up a lot more adrenaline. That's that angst, anxiety, brain fog. You know, this is the symptoms of brain fog, but they're often remedied. I love this amino acid uh, called theanine. Mm, I love um, so, theanine. I take it every single day. Yeah. So theanine is a naturally occurring amino acid in green tea, and it's, and it's manufactured uh, for, by a fermentation process that's available in supplements. Sun theanine's got the, the most relevant evidence behind it. But what this will do for you is decrease, it's, it's alpha wave inducing. So what that means is it creates a sense of calm without exactly. sedation. Yeah. And, yeah. and a better focus, alertness, concentration. And by the way, better sleeps at night. So, I take it right before bed. I take yeah. uh, anywhere from, I guess, 150 to 200 milligrams right before bed, and it definitely helps to relax me. I don't, I don't lie awake thinking with my mind going in a million different you know, areas or different, million different ways, so it's good. Yeah, mind racing is another symptom uh, that a lot of women can experience during perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause. Again, when that estrogen is trying to find its happy spot and it's going from that, you know, sort of where it's used to being, whatever your happy baseline is, and it's doing this jagged, up, down, up, down, up, down, until eventually seven to 11 years later, it's plateaued. It finds its happy spot. It's that up and down that causes symptoms. Again, vasodilation, uh, hot sweats, night sweats, um, it, you know, it, dysregulation of neurotransmitters, anxiety, sleep imbalances, mood dysregulation. Uh, so all of these can be remedied. Um, so, so there's a lot of things that women can do and take. There's also a frustration around a metabolism. So, I mean, you know, the, the quick conversation around metabolism, other than how it's, it starts in the brain around uh, insulin sensitivity, I also like to recommend cinnamon. A lot of people think well, cinnamon for menopause. How does that relate? Blood sugar regulation. Right. Right. So taking a, a supplemental form and making sure you put as much of that into uh, your diet as possible absolutely increases insulin sensitivity. The thing about estrogen is, again, once it starts to decline, your body um, desires it. Um, and so other than your ovaries and your breast tissue, what else makes estrogen? Fat tissue. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the natural course of, you know, again, the metabolism starting in the brain and the insulin sensitivity going down, uh, the natural recourse uh, by the body is to store extra fat tissue so as to be able to make that little bit more estrogen your body is throwing. So you could be, wow, I'm doing everything I can do through exercise and better nutrition. Well, and weight anyways. Yeah. So the, the game starts with insulin regulation. That's why I love cinnamon. Uh, I want to talk about while we're on the topic of insulin, you know, in menopause, a lot of women are, have a predisposition to insulin resistance, which is the step before type two diabetes. Let's talk about insulin re resistance, the importance of balancing blood sugar, especially in perimenopause and menopause and brain health, because I think there is such, it is such a huge topic. And I'd love you to kind of just give us a, you know, the cold, the 101 on it, because I do want the women, our viewers, our listeners who are watching to understand the importance of balancing our blood sugar, but also how to. Yeah, sure. You know, so look, first of all, insulin is manufactured by the islets of Langerhans cells in your pancreas. These are very specialized cells uh, that 
po uh, promote essentially the production and, and manufacturing of a hormone uh, known as insulin. It's the gatekeeper to allowing sugar into all the cells uh, of your body, in particular your brain. Your brain doesn't work unless glucose is allowed uh, into the brain and of course then eventually into the neurons. These are the brain uh, cell units. Um, it also is so responsible for allowing, you know, again, insulin into muscle uh, tissue, to all the various organs of your body, your heart. Uh, these are the most bioactive, of course, the brain and the heart. So without insulin being regulated, uh, sugar can't get into cells in a fashion that is balanced. We can measure this. In a clinical sense, we look at things like insulin growth factor, or IGF-1, insulin levels. We look at something called uh, glycosylated hemoglobin. These are all things you can ask your doctor to check besides simply random fasting glucose, which really doesn't give us much of an idea. So finger on the pulse, IGF-1, uh, insulin itself, and, um, and uh, hemoglobin A1C, HbA1C, great ways to know where you're personally at in terms of insulin uh, balance. Listen, to, to manage it best, and I mean, there's another thing about menopause that I happen to know, once again, I'll never experience, but it is cravings. Now, it's a vicious cycle. When serotonin is low due to a low estrogen due to your body trying to find its happy medium, you're going to be a carb craver. Most of us uh, understand that already. When you're a carb craver and you're eating refined, um, very, very high sugar, very quick time-released uh, foods, these are the cakes, cookies, pastries, pastas of the world, breads. We know this is bad, but ultimately we sort of rely or we fall back on that a lot because it boosts serotonin temporarily. For we might even find that we have a better sleep at night when we're in this uh, dysregulation of hormones. What that does is ultimately also dysregulate or imbalance glucose or imbalance insulin. So we get insulin spikes and then we get crashes um, and that creates a vicious cycle. We've all heard this uh, all too often. So how do we, from a lifestyle and dietary perspective, uh, rebalance that? We've seen a lot more evidence over the last perhaps you know three to five years around intermittent fasting. Uh, this is not for everybody, but to try at least at first um, you know, a, a fasting of about 12 to 14 hours sounds probably pretty doable. Uh, so nothing after nine o'clock at night. So no snacking or, or any food uh, into the system. Um, and then you go all the way until about 11 the next morning. Um, you know, you, you can choose your window where you're comfortable with, but ultimately fasting for at least 14 hours, uh, along with, a, with making sure you're getting every single color of the rainbow for fruits and vegetables, servings-wise, minimum of half a cup for each of those. This is easily accomplished, by the way, that's six whole cups at minimum. That's government recommendations. We should probably be achieving 10, but that's minimum. Once you do that, there's a lot of fiber there, which we're all lacking, by the way. We can get into brain, gut, and hormones, and there's so many things to discuss. But at the end of the day, if you're intermittent fasting, you're getting a lot of uh, you know, fruits and vegetables into your diet. That's going to satiate a lot of healthy fiber, keep you regular, manage the gut brain. And then a lot of good, healthy, lean protein. Uh, these are all... So, so, so that it starts there. We can say get a good sleep, but when hormones are dysregulated, that's often you know, really hard to do. Uh, so the other thing to throw you know, into the mix, to, because you can do it, is exercise, weight-bearing uh, activity at least you know 20 to 30 minutes every single day. Walking counts, obviously. So, so, so good intensive exercise is actually going to offset studies show uh, night sweats, and that's going to lead to a better, uh, you know, deeper, uh, more qualitative sleep. So, if, if folks start to do things like you know experiment with the 5-HTP, like you said, add a little theanine onto that in the evening, a little bit of B6. Make sure they exercise, weight-bearing activity. We're meant to push, pull, jump, squat, lift. You do that, 
Um, and, um, you know, by the way, we should also maybe talk very briefly about managing stress because you're going to feel anxious and stress, especially during those moments when you have a hot flash that are sometimes uncontrollable. Best way out of that is that uh, my, my mentor, Dr. Andrew Weil, who's uh, spoken so much about the five, seven, eight methodology. Are you going to say deep breathing? Is that where you're going to go with that? The best way out of it? Four, seven, eight, or five, seven, eight methods. So that's four, uh, count of four through your nose. You hold for a count of seven, and then through pursed lips through a count of eight, mm. and you repeat that at least four or five cycles. That balances your anxiety and that hot flash um, better than actually studies were, look at things like benzodiazepines, which are anti-anxiety drugs. So this works better than that. Um, so, you know, those are top, top line tips. Nice thing about deep breathing. It also measures, it also helps with heart rate variability, which we know plays a huge role, which I think we should do a whole video on HRV actually, because it's up and coming, although it's been around for a long time. I think it's one of those new buzzwords that a lot of us are going to be hearing a lot. And I think it's something we should talk about. Yes, go ahead. No, there's more connections that go from your heart to your brain than from your brain to your heart. Um, this has been discovered. The work of Dr. Roland McCready, a Al, you know, at the, uh, uh, well, we'll get into it maybe in a future video. At the end of the day, you're absolutely right. When you do this rhythmic breathing, you are telling your heart everything is okay because of being in this, uh, you know, sort of discombobulated uh, hormonal state. That's often more necessary because that noradrenaline adrenaline we're talking about that fires off more often because estrogen's on the decline puts you into this sort of you know, a bit of a freak mode. Like, why is this happening? And it's a vicious cycle. One of the questions I have before we, we end our interview is, well, many of us are talking about boosting immunity now. Is there research behind boosting immunity, brain health, and what does the science say if the research exists? Right. Remember I mentioned PNEI, psychoneuroendocrine immune. So we talked a lot about psychoneuroendocrine uh, with a heavy focus on the endocrine side, immune. Uh, that's a whole tie-in. So this is the study of how the brain interacts with the nervous system, which interacts with the endocrine or hormonal system, which all gets tied back into the immune system. I mean, at the end of the day, although the brain is very separate in its own immune system from the body, and it filters a lot of what happens in the body by what's called the blood-brain barrier, a lot of the instructions that come from the brain to the body as to what to do or how to manage the environment, et cetera, like a perfect example is stress the more stressed out you are chronically, because not all stress is bad, just like not all inflammation is bad, but when you're stressed out chronically, we know now, I mean irrefutably, that that depresses the immune system, so putting us more vulnerable. So just managing stress better is ultimately gonna make us a lot more resilient against infection. But what's really cool, and I'm working, I'm, I'm gonna publish a, a, you know, an article soon about this, is there are certain ingredients that have excellent research behind them that actually do show that they have a brain boosting effect, particularly BDNF or brain drive neurotrophic, again, neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, keeping, we used to think that we couldn't grow new brain cells. It stopped as the you know, age of nine, early school. Uh, but, but we now know every year of our, every day of our lives, we can make more brain cells, particularly focused in the hippocampus, the memory center of the brain. So we always want to do things to increase BDNF. So certain ingredients that can do that and simultaneously enhance or improve our immune system. So one of my favorites, quercetin. Quercetin's a bioflavonoid, very, very high in onions, um, you know, certain uh, brightly colored uh, orange and yellow fruits and vegetables. 
Uh, so bioflavonoids is a type of polyphenol antioxidant. And so the literature is pretty strong for quercetin to boost BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, as well as protect against viral adherence. That means when a virus enters our body, it wants to attach to certain receptors and then inject its RNA information to, in order to, it, viruses require our cells, they hijack our cells in order to replicate. If we can sort of prevent that initial entry, then they don't, they die. Bacteria are different. They kind of feed off of you know, stuff that's around them. They don't have to get into our cells. So, so that's one. Another one is zinc. Zinc is so important for the brain in so many different ways. And, and, and literally, you can get this from a handful of pumpkin seeds. Um, by the way, eating that before bed, there's another way. Get your zinc and boost tryptophan simultaneously. Uh, so there's a little uh, trick. Uh, pumpkin seeds, a whole handful. Um, and, and zinc has been shown also to protect viral adherence uh, as well, it is so important uh, for neural uh, transmission between cell to cell. So that our cells are actually not quite connected in our brain. Uh, one nerve has to fire chemistry onto another nerve to relay the message, and zinc enhances uh, that particular uh, situation. Um, and you know, and the list is long, but I, I can tell you that there are you know many many different ingredients that just sort of simultaneously have to be good for both the immune system. Uh, as well as the uh, brain. How much quercetin should we be taking? Yeah, so quercetin is one of those things that unfortunately you kind of have to megadose to see the response. You'll often find five to 600 milligrams per capsule in your typical over-the-counter health food store brand. Um, I highly recommend looking uh, at the literature for that elevated dose. Uh, there's no CRN or the Council for Responsible Nutrition upper limit for quercetin, but I like to recommend to my patients around this time for a healthier immune system, the thousands of milligrams. I find that it's very safe to be taking a few thousand uh, a few times a day. Um, I've been giving this very safely in my patient population to very uh, severe allergy sufferers in the six to 8,000 milligram. Wow. I don't recommend that for the average person without screening them, but that's, you know, it seems to be something uh, that the body knows uh, exactly what to do with once it's had any sort of excess. What about vitamin C and vitamin D? Do either of those or, and or both of those play a role in, we know immunity, but what about brain health as well? Absolutely. So one thing we're learning more about in terms of the brain and its own ability to detoxify, something called glymphatics. Uh, so we have lymph, right? The lymphatic system detoxifies in part. One of its jobs is to move stuff the system, the immune system. The brain doesn't have, it has glial cells. Hold on, Brian. Non Bryce, you have to stop. What about vitamin C and vitamin D? We know that it helps support, support our immune system, but what about its relation to our brain health as well? Absolutely. So two of my favorites, I mean, they're very well talked about and very well known and evidence-based and studied, but to be reminded of how they're important for our immune system, in particular immune system and our brain function, I think is a, is a key topic of discussion. So here's the thing. We know that we have a lymphatic system. It's important for the uh, detoxification of cellular debris and the peripheral immune system. Um, but our brain doesn't have a lymphatics. It doesn't have a lymph system. It has what are called glial cells. Those sweep up the mess left behind from day-to-day -day metabolism in our brain and even peripheral ethereal toxins that exist with it, you know, around us. And, and, and it's called the glymphatic system. Um, turns out vitamin C and vitamin D are really important for glial cell production uh, and, and action, function, their ability to detoxify um, you know, remnants uh, in the brain. So important. For, and by the way, if you don't sleep well, 
uh, and don't practice good sleep hygiene, particularly a cold or cool room, 68 degrees or so, uh, unless you do, um, your glymphatics don't like to work at, at optimum. So, you know, safe and, and, and uh, therapeutic levels of vitamin C. Research shows no more than 500 milligrams a few times a day is necessary. Um, I like the buffered form, but that's not well supported by the literature. I find that might be easier on the digestive system. Esterified form versus ascorbic acid. When it comes to D3, cholecalciferol is cholecalciferol is cholecal. So D3 is D3 is D3, but I recommend, and the CRN does have an upper limit for this, that the average person without testing themselves uh, looks to take about 4,000 IU uh, every single day with a fatty meal because a fat-soluble vitamin. What about liposomal vitamin C? Is there a research yeah. on that? Yeah, so there is some research. I mean, again, the research is not entirely favorable in that direction, but I mean, if you can, you know, liposomal is, I believe, a little bit better. I mean, and if you can afford to and have the uh, compliance around doing it, um, then absolutely. Uh, it's a lot more expensive and we're not 100% sure, but if money is no option, sure. All right, final thoughts. Is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you'd like to talk about when it comes to perimenopause, menopause, and brain health? My clinical experience has led me to believe that everyone is going to have a much easier time through a hormonal transition if they were to be personalized. We all metabolize, we all detoxify hormones at different rates. Once you understand what that is, finding a, a you know, naturopath, homeopath, functional medicine clinician that you know puts a lot of credence and a lot of... Uh, uh, reverence into uh, personalized testing using both genetic as well as a functional assessment, you're going to have a much, much easier time, not just for hormonal transition, for everything. Uh, but, but again, uh, without, without that, I think just in quick summary, getting your diet right, we talked about that, so intermittent fasting, ultimately in, uh, increasing fiber intake through all the colors of the rainbow for fruits and vegetables everything, every single day. It's pretty easy to do through salads and soups, making sure you get that 20 minutes of weight-bearing activity along with some cardio, like walking every single day. That's going to help uh, with better sleeps. And then giving a, giving a try a few supplements. We talked about theanine, a couple hundred milligrams of theanine uh, uh, every single day to help with noradrenergic um, adrenaline um, and focus attention, alertness, brain fog, better sleeps. 5-hydroxytryptophan, 50 milligrams up to maybe 100 twice a day. It's going to help boost serotonin, which the decline of estrogen pulls down, uh, along with a little bit of B6 or a B-complex. And don't forget, arm your brain. I mean, you know, again, full disclosure, I, I work on the medical advisory board for this, but, but DHA EPA, this is algal, by the way, fully sustainable vegan form of, uh, of uh, DHA. So many of us are deficient. And if, and if you're not supplying your brain with DHA, it's relevant to brain function, hormone function. It's relevant to immune function. It's relevant to skin health, beauty, anti-aging, uh, you name it. So that would be my final thought. Arm your brain. How much should we be taking at Brain Armor? Is it a teaspoon a day, a tablespoon a day? Yeah, it comes in liquid form. Uh, they're a capsule form as well. I like taking the liquid and I take two teaspoons twice a day. That is quite high, but I like to maintain an omega-3 index uh, of at least uh, nine or 10% at any given time. 25,000 plus studies have been done on the ingredients found in Brain Armor and concluded that this uh, benefits us and most of us wow. are- Wow, and so easy to do too. So you're saying twice a day, two teaspoons. Now, should we be taking it with fatty food because it is a fat? That you're eating? So it's an essential fat. That's a great point. You don't make it yourself, um, and it's not high enough in the diet. We can't rely, unfortunately, on fish. Um, I don't believe fish is sustainable. I'm not vegan, uh, but this is paleo-friendly. It's vegan-friendly. It's very sustainable for the environment. 
but, but if, if you're having a fatty fish, typically those are larger, you know, like salmon, we're familiar with her. They're often laden with dioxins and furans and PCB and heavy metals. And there's just no clean sort of water sources any longer, unfortunately. This is self-contained algae. It's kind of fermented in a similar process as, uh, as uh, beer or wine would be fermented. It's self-contained, fully controlled, totally, you know, s sustainable, safe, pure. I, that's what I love. I mean, it's the purity of, of the product. I feel very confident that um, no other contaminants, of course, are in there. So, uh, in fact, pregnant women, nursing women are absolutely also the highest risk category and their unborn children. But during menopause, uh, pre-menopause, perimenopause, post-menopause, we get deficient for other reasons. And, and you can't get enough of it in your diet, uh, so you have to supplement. Yeah. So again, two teaspoons twi twice a day, even for women in perimenopause and menopause. You know, even one teaspoon once a day has been shown to change the vector, the needle on that omega-3 index. And if the brain controls everything, including hormonal uh, balance and immune balance, let's get back to the basics and supply it with those ingredients uh, for which we will have better overall health. Well said. And the fact that there's, I mean, over 10,000 studies on omega-3, there's a great website. It's omega-research.com and it shows all the studies on omega-3s and on all the different parts, whether it's brain health, heart health, hair, nail, skin, et cetera. So very well said, Bryce. Thank you so much for being on our show today. And how Thanks, can people Andrea. find you? I'm going to put your, 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 like your name below. Yeah. So wildonhealth.com. Uh, most of my, uh, social handles, Instagram, wildonhealth. Um, Facebook is uh, forward slash Bryce Wild. I practice at Toronto P3 Health downtown, p3health.net. That's personalized participatory. So it's a very important thing to, to, to mention. So personalized, we talked a lot a bit, a lot about, uh, and that's important because we, but participatory is one of our P's. We don't just sort of sign patients up. Have, if you're not willing to get involved yeah, uh, in, in your care, there's just no point at all. So P3 House is a place to check out. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on our show today, Bryce. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate it. If you got value out of today's show, please give us a big like and subscribe to our channel. Also, turn on the notification bell because you'll be notified every single time we launch a new video. And please share our video because the more you share, the more you care, and the more we can help educate people on how to live a healthier lifestyle. Thanks for watching and listening, everyone. We'll see you next time.